we're back to the Neil Haley show and also uh, the Love Is Celebrity Podcast. I'm excited to welcome from Kim Sorrell, author of Love Is. Kim, how are you? And I know you're excited about your guest and our guest, and I'm excited about the film because I'm a huge fan of George Foreman. I mean, again, he's a gentle giant like myself, who's 6'10, Kim. So this is kind of like, you know, I'm a little taller than George, but I always loved him as a boxer. Yeah, right. What a classy guy, right? So uh, with an interesting life. So yes, Neil, I'm doing great. Good to see you. And I am very excited about our guest, George Tillman Jr., who is a wave maker, a groundbreaker. I am so impressed, George, with your resume, the things that you have done. You have uh, done some things to really pave the way for some incredible films, uh, that are um, wonderful for the black community, even though I hate to say they're films for the black community, but some of the films you've done, certainly that's the, you've drawn so much traffic from that. But I feel like we're turning a corner and things are becoming more for everybody. And you've done just some incredible things. This George Foreman, obviously, I mean, everybody's interested in George Foreman and his career and that had to be an experience, but I'm so curious about you because here you are, this Chicago guy. I'm from Michigan, Midwestern, and uh, won some awards. You've just, you've just done it. I'm just so impressed with everything that you've done, uh, the stories that you've portrayed. You know, just talking about real people and real lives, and and making people feel like they're part of the story. So welcome, welcome, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you for having having me. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So this what it what's been big for you? Like, I'm just curious. I mean, it, just because you've done so much and so much good and uh, tearing down walls and the first of this and the first of that, which should have happened years ago, but you made it happen. And uh, what's what do you consider your biggest achievement? Like what's made you just pursue, pursue, pursue? Well, you know, just from watching other, you know, like you were saying, I love telling stories that can really help entertain first, but then help other people. Like I remember when I was a kid, I saw Barry Levinson film Avalon and Avalon was about his family as immigrants moving to America. I was so blown away, even though that family was about the Jewish immigrants. And I just felt like it was very inspiring for me to tell my story with soul food about my family after Sunday dinners, after coming from church, my grandmother doing all the cooking. And even though it was African-American characters, it was fun and it was for everybody. So that's what I always wanted to do with tell stories of, uh, that can move people, get people to change their life and get people to think. So that keeps me going every movie. You know what I mean? So that's how I've been feeling as a director. And what do you think as a director kind of putting your whole vision into it, specifically enough of some of the films you've done, TV shows you've done to kind of put your stamp on it as a director? Because that's the thing that people don't understand is a director takes the writer, producer, everybody put this together and make it a vision, your vision, when it finally goes on, on, on film or on TV, right? Yeah, I think the key is the stamp is what are you trying to say? You know, like the film I did years ago with Robert De Niro, Cuba Gooding Jr., Men of Honor, 
That was about the first African-American Navy diver. And that whole thing is about, you know, never giving up and really choosing that. And that's what's sitting down with the individual and putting in what is the theme that people can walk away. So with George Foreman, the new movie, I was sat down with George and I was like, wow, change is it's a powerful thing for him. So that was the stamp that I was able to put on this film. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I am so excited. It's coming out very soon. I am sure that it's going to do great. You've got some wonderful cast going, and it is just an incredible story. This man that was an angry guy, right? I mean, he was a pretty angry guy, which maybe as a boxer you need to be, I don't know. But uh, he changed his life, just changed completely. It seems like uh, that would be a difficult thing to really grab hold of in just a couple hours on film. What what was that like? That was amazing because it was true. When I was a kid, I was rooting for Ali in the Foreman versus Ali. I wanted Ali to beat the big, bad George Foreman. And then, like, years later after college, I'm rooting for him to fight Michael Moore. I was yeah. like, he's a nice guy. Is this the same guy who created the grill? You know? And then when I when I sat down with him, it's just that, that experience in Puerto Rico that we have in the movie when he fought um, Jimmy Young. He, he People say he had heat stroke. George said it was more. I died and I came back. I saw something different that completely changed my life. And that experience was the one thing he said, you got to get right in the movie. That was the most important thing that he wanted to make sure was right. And from there, he started believing in other things other than himself. He became selfish to selfless. So I love that importance of how to change that really made me look at myself but at the same time, I had a great time as a director. I had all these great fights with Ali. I mean, George did some crazy things where he fought five guys in one ring to prove I'm just as bad as Ali. Those are some interesting things about the journey in life, you know? And I think he saw, specifically enough, when he made that change, how Ali loved people. And he had to do the same in a way, but in a, di- in a different transformation. George Foreman's way different than Ali in so many ways. What did George tell you about his like what he thought about Lee? And also specifically enough, did he take any of his charisma later on and and kind of not copy it, but emulate some of it? I think what was going on was he felt like during the fight, he I said, were you afraid of Ali? He says, no, I wasn't afraid of Ali. I was afraid of Joe Frazier. And I said, really? But you knocked Joe Frazier out six times. He said, but that was the problem I was afraid of. I wasn't afraid of Ali. I really believe that I can get him with one punch. And he just kept going on and on and on. I couldn't believe he was still around in the eighth round. And he said one of the things that he learned, and I have it in the movie, is, is, is a moment right before the fight, George is putting his hand on the ropes, and he looks underneath his arms to look at Ali, and Ali is praying. You know, he's being spiritual. And I think the spirituality is what really woke him up and really saw to get him something to have a pattern in his life. You know, and I think that's something that uh, we all need sort of in our own lives, just to believe, to help, to think better. And I think that's what made him more lovable. A different spirit was just there. I I love that. I love that. And I I totally agree. It's uh, a whole different life when you are interested when you're open, when you're seeking, when you know that there's more to life. And early on in this interview, you mentioned the dinners, Sunday dinners after church and and the things of that your family did. And so uh, faith is, is a thing apparently in your family's life and something that you grew up with. 
and then something that's been such a big part of George's life. So how did you how did you relate to all that? I was able to relate when I really sat down and I really started breaking down the movie into the physicality in terms of why things happen. I really wasn't able to figure out and it all came down to one thing. If you really look back when George Foreman fought Ali in 1974, at that point, Ali already lost to Frazier. He already was slower. He was a different fighter. And George is 25, 24, 25 at the time, strong, young, knocked everybody out. How would Ali was able to do that, a belief. And then at 46, George was able to do the thing. You know, and a kid coming from the fifth ward with nothing, his whole family had to eat one burger. They had to share their food. And the teacher wouldn't even look at him because of how he was dressed. And then later, this guy would be the heavyweight champion and a grill guy who's successful. Faith, belief in something. Um, And I have to remind that of myself. Every time I do a movie, I'm like, oh, wow, can I get through this? You know, this movie is so hard. Just keep believing, keep pushing. So that was the thing that came down to one single thing, as you just talked about, Kim. You just have to believe and put it into something else that can make you get through this and win. Totally. Now, Kim has a question she asks all our celebrity guests about love. She wrote a book about love. Go ahead, Kim. Yeah, so, um, Georgia, I was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago. And then four months later, my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and died six weeks after that. And it made me question some things. And the real meaning of love was one of them. That seems to be this, you know, I don't know. I think you put 10 people in a room, you can get to 10 different answers to what love is. And so I, I lived it out and wrote a book about it. Love is. And so love is, is huge. Love's universal and love's involved in everything. And I, I know it's got to be a big part of your life because uh, your passion has got to come from love, right? Am I right about that? Like, what what is love to you? Love is, to me, and it's something that, you know, I've been thinking about for the last 12 months, you know, because when you make a movie, it takes a lot of people around you. You can't do it by yourself. And love is continuing to open yourself up to other people's flaws other people's successes, other people's happiness, other people's sadness. And it's a continuing thing. To learn how to forgive is a continuing thing as well. And that's something I've been learning is not let things drag me down. Just happy, be happy. I have to remind myself, be happy where you are. I always look at another director and I say, I want to be better. I want to be like him. It's just like, just be happy what life has provided. Enjoy each day as it comes. It's just hard. Love is taking each day and making the best out of it and making everybody and yourself happy around it. That's how I'm learning every day. You know, that's powerful. I love that. Now, George, what is your goal for the film? What do you want the film to achieve the most? Like you want people to learn most from this film? Well, first of all, I mean, George said he wanted, only reason he wanted to do the movie so people can be able to take his story and see that there's something else out there other than self. And I really, truly want people to come to this movie, April 28th. You know, first of all, it's always hard sometimes. Um, You got these big Marvel movies. So I'm always competing with the big Marvel movies. So everybody, please come out. But when you come out to see the movie, you will walk away in believing that anything is really possible, no matter how obstacles are. Just keep pushing, keep trying, and keep loving. And I think George became a champion, not because... He wanted the material things because he was doing it for the right reasons. 
That's what I want people to walk away. And the movie is made for all families. You know, I made it PG-13 and I made it for everyone to come because a lot of people know George as the grill, but they don't know him as the boxer. Many people didn't know that he was a minister. So that's a big life. And I really want people to really be surprised. That's fantastic. And and so as you said, April 28th, it premieres. Is it going to be in theaters for a while or how's it working? Yeah, it's going to be in theaters everywhere. April 28th. The more people talk and go see the movie, the more it'll stick around. We want to stick around in the theaters before it goes to, uh, you know, the streaming service. So please tell everybody to come see the movie. We appreciate it, George. Thanks, Kim. All right. All right that was a special simulcast, the Neil Haley Show, and love is... Take care, guys. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. My guest today is Dr. Terry Zachary. And Dr. Terry is a sports chiropractor. How are you, Dr. Terry? And tell us kind of that journey of how you became a sports chiropractor. Neil, I'm doing well. Uh, I was a sports chiropractor. First, I was a sports junkie. Um, And to become a sports junkie, you either stay average or you learn how to do the sports. And you have to learn mechanics at some point. Uh, As we've talked about before, I'm a Canadian, so hockey was first. It has to be by law up here. And then uh, basketball, but but golf was really the thing that got me going. I got really into the mechanics of golf and how the body moved, and it was just seemed like a natural step when I chose my occupation to go into sports chiropractic. And what's the difference between a sports chiropractor and a regular chiropractor? Well, you know, it's just it, it's just almost like an adjunct of a regular chiropractor. So my practice was actually about fifty percent family practice, fifty percent sports chiro- chiropractic. Um, but when I, when you, we go in to be a chiropractor and then you kind of take some side courses and develop your sports training. Um, mine was well back. They, they have quite sophisticated trainings for chiropractors now to become a sports chiropractor. Um, mine was a little lighter, a lot of courses. Um, but then just a lot of practice, uh, again, a lot of hockey players, a lot of golfers. That was really my niche. Um, and then you can learn the mechanics of that to apply them to all types of uh, activities and especially repetitive grip problems was one of my specialties. Uh, so let's talk about specifically enough, who comes to see you as a chiropractor for sports? Well, uh, almost, I mean, you'll get almost every athlete uh, looking to maximize the balance and the function of their of their spine and extremities. So you, you virtually see everybody. Um, again, where I was drawn to was my, basically my love interest as a kid. I was really drawn to hockey, which is, uh, you know, plentiful uh, in Vancouver was the lower mainland where I practiced. Um, but then also golf was really uh, a big thing around here too. And, and it doesn't seem like similar sports, but the gripping side of things, the motion side and creating creating strength to shoot a slap shot and hit a golf ball are actually very similar, different plane, obviously, but only slightly. And so a lot of the injuries from those uh, were very similar. Uh, so then you could equate that into many other sports like soccer, but, but it was uh, soccer, basketball, football, volleyball, everything. But mine was mostly uh, the mechanics of hockey and golf. What happens with injuries of golf that they need to see a chiropractor? Yeah, well, uh, um, the biggest injuries would well, it's a flip. It's a flip of the coin between uh, back injuries, anything to do with the spine. There's obviously it's an imbalanced situation. You have one arm lower in the club than the other, so it's an imbalanced sport. And you can even look at professional golfers on TV and look at their shoulder height and pretty much tell if they're left-handed or right-handed. But the biggest thing that I would see in golf 
when you accumulate everything uh, as far as hand, wrist, carpal tunnel, thumb, uh, elbow injuries and forearm injuries, those are all the very, very similar on the cause. So I would say that elbow down is the biggest injury in golfers. And then you balance it off with spinal injuries for the most popular ones. All right. Let's so and the spinal injury injuries. A lot of people, if you want to see a sports chiropractor, is that a all lifetime thing where you want to be able to perform the best because of the constant injuries that you can occur? Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is, uh, Neil. And and we think about it, we, we used to talk about it a lot. And we're not, you know, in that situation, I, I know there's this kind of this mindset, though, well, you got to start seeing a chiropractor all your life. And if you start, you're going to stay all your life. And it's a, it's a balancing mechanism thing. And if you're in a sport where the training is imbalanced, like if I'm grabbing a weight, for example, all the time, and I'm going to squeeze, 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 well, that's going to create imbalance. Or if I'm a golfer, and I'm uh, you know, hitting shots from the right side all the time and that rotation is similar, you're going to create imbalance. So if your workplace or your daily habits is creating constant imbalance, you need to have mechanisms to offset that imbalance. So it's it's basically keeping up with the imbalance of your daily habits, whether that's a sport or whether it's, you know, just getting the kids to school, packing a lunch and squeezing and flexing and hunching. Um, we're inherently bringing ourselves into some type of imbalance. So definitely, uh, I know I've, I see a carpenter, I'm out of practice right now and I, I get checked every couple of months and, and, uh, that's just the way it goes because life brings its imbalances. We have to have some way to keep in balance so our, our body works properly. What do you see in sports performance by going, seeing a chiropractor? Have you seen increased sports performance for your athletes? Oh yes, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that happens, uh, it's a good question. One of the things that comes to mind right off the bat, Neil is is just the concept of having your body in balance. And it's 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 such a big thing and it's very under very underappreciated in our world. If my body's on its vertical center, every joint that hangs, you think of your shoulders. So we think of the knees and the ankles right away, or the hips, knees, ankles, because they're weight bearing. But if my body's on its vertical center, now my shoulders are on their vertical center, like all joints are actually on their uh, according to physics, now on their vertical center as well. If I have slight imbalances or I have, you know, hunching and slight imbalances to the side, all of a sudden, every joint that is, uh, every joint that has anything to do with comparing to gravity is not on its vertical center. And over time, using those joints off their vertical center puts them more at risk. Well, risk, and then you're not going to perform well, right? Well, uh, certainly not perform well. And yeah, you, you're looking at strength and stabilization uh, and you're looking to perform your task of, I'm going to hit a drive on a golf course uh and i have the other thing there's so many subtleties about the joints when i say a joint is out of balance that body in uh intricately knows that the balance of a joint so uh it will uh, you do have mechanisms uh within each joint that will actually bring them into subtle protection and that will make them weak so definitely to bring your to have your body uh free of any uh interruption as far as uh, any protection in the joints itself will make them stronger inherently. Absolutely. Well, it seems like they definitely will. And that's the, the thing in, in, in performance and athletes more and more now are looking at how they optimize things. Absolutely. Keep their career longer. Have you worked with any celebrity athletes in Canada? Oh, we've worked with some hockey players. We've worked with, uh, it's interesting because we, the, the product that we develop for hand exercises, we do something because I saw so many, um, 
professional golfers and hockey players specifically uh, would do nothing for grip or they would take something and squeeze it on a regular basis. Um, I'm not even allowed to say the names if uh, I can't really use ours to promote any products. So I've got to watch the names. But there was in an NBA finals, there was some dislocated fingers involved in both of the guards a couple of years ago. And we know that they were both using our product. Um, maybe you might have to do a little homework on who that might be. I can't be name dropping, but absolute big stars. Um, but again, what you what you focus on is the thing that I'm the most interested in. Any athlete now, it's getting, you know, 20 years ago, it was less competitive. But nowadays, it's any, that 1%. If you do anything with that 1%, that gives you some degree of an edge. These guys and gals are looking for that. And that becomes something where, when you're talking about specifically grip and spinal balance in general, but but grip has been an archaic section of uh, of performance fitness for decades. So tell me about your product. Yeah, so a product's called Handmaster Plus. Uh, it, it basically came out of the concept that uh, we used to do five or six different exercises. We'd have little squeeze balls, maybe would have a coiled exercise squeezer laying around the office and then we'd have elastic bands that the patient or the athlete would have to slip over and very complicated hard to remember would take literally 20 minutes to do complete hand exercise and that means the muscles that close the hand as well as the muscles that open and spread the hand that's what i would always do because most of these people had never heard of those things they would just squeeze right. if anything so we developed something the handmaster plus where it's where we basically bring the uh, it, the resistance to extension is a little cord that goes through a ball. You squeeze against the ball, you open and spread against the cord and the cord just attaches to your thumbs and fingers. So instead of an athlete or musician or just a regular lay person uh, having to think about a whole bunch of different exercises that take 20 minutes, they close against a ball, they open and spread against the cord and they just continue to do that till a comfortable fatigue. So their only thing they're thinking about, Neil, is I got to close the book. I got to close my hand. I got to open and spread my hand. And, and it's, it's dumbed down as much as possible, but yet resistance through the entire range of motions an excellent exercise. And the exercise is more for hockey and uh, what, what position player? Well, no, Yeah. Anything grip wise where you're training grip, that exercise for grip, but it's become, I mean, this started like my curiosity in the grip started well, man, over 20 years ago. Then I started training athletes only for the reason of, hey, we want you to perform better and we want to prevent injury, right? Because we were seeing the same finger and thumb and carpal tunnel uh, and elbow injuries from only training the flexor muscles. The flexor side shuts down. It shuts down all those joints and structures. So when we started, Neil, it was always about performance and preventing injury. But now we have them with lay people like crazy. It's about stimulating blood flow now to the extremities and lymph drainage. There's a whole bunch more with exercising the hands now, but originally you're dead on. It was, it was grip people, uh, gymnasts might be somebody in volleyball, basketball, somebody that has regular injuries to those extremities, you know, volleyball, basketball specifically, but training the grip, when we train the muscles that open and spread the hand, those are stabilizer muscles in the grip. So they co-contract as the flexor muscles are grabbing. Um, so we need to train them all, not just the ones that are uh, closing the head. All right. Where's the best place we can find information on you and also your product? Yeah. Best place would be handmasterplus.com for hand, for the handmaster. There's a book that we uh, that I wrote based on my experience uh, with training hands called Great Hands, Great Life. And it explains everything from start to finish. It's a complicated area, 
but we've really dumbed it down to where somebody can take action and and really exercise and get themselves super healthy and and uh, performing very well without having to know the whole book. But if somebody wants to see the book, Great Hands, Great Life, Amazon's probably the best place to go grab it. All right. Well, we appreciate it. Uh, thanks again. It was int- intriguing. It's something to think about. Another area that athletes need to work on is that grip, especially at certain ages and different things. And it's a product that's going to help you throughout. So people need to check that out and check out your book as well. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, Neil. And like you said, that question you asked uh, at one point where you said, you know, if an athlete can get that 1% better, they're looking for ways. And uh, we've helped a lot of athletes, but a lot of general lay people as well. It's a great exercise. All right, thanks. You're listening to the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited about, first of all, my co-host, again, the concussion guru, Dr. Charles Simkovich. Dr. Charles, I appreciate you co-hosting with me for Simkovich Concussion Institute. We're going to have a fun conversation again where, you know, you can ask questions when you want to ask them, but I appreciate you, Dr. Charles, stopping by. I appreciate the offer and, and, right. the, and the opportunity. Exactly. And our guest today is Tim Virgilio. I had him on back with uh, Mike Lavalier uh, before he's from Signature for Soldiers. And uh, you know what, Tim, it's fantastic what Mike was able to do. And you can update us on what, first of all, because again, this is a uh, for Pittsburghers to remember, especially when it did air on our, our TV station in Pittsburgh as well, Tim. Uh, updating them specifically enough of you know how Mike really helped this movement even go further for you. Yeah, absolutely. Again, like uh, last time we talked, it was absolutely wonderful to meet Mike, um, you know, having grown up a fan and of his and, and then meet him and find out he's a better person than he is an athlete is really something special for me. So that was really neat. But um, yeah, so it, since Mike's gotten on board, he's really just started to reach out to other people that he knows, athletes, non-athletes, just encouraging them to support however they can um, with our efforts to raise money to help homeless and disabled veterans. So it's been, it's been really, really neat. Um, You know, as we talked about last time, I started this in November of 2014. And uh, to date, we're now quickly approaching $225,000 in total money raised since that time. Um, And it just, each day it just seems like it gains more and more momentum so it's really been it's really been neat it's really been humbling um it's been surprising (laughs) that people want to get behind me and and help like this so um it's been great more and more athletes are contacting you every day right that's the great thing about it because the power of social media and the power of the word because of what you're doing did not just help veterans but also homeless veterans that's just a that they've served our country, and yet they don't have a home. How awful is that? And what they're starting to do? Yeah, it's um, you know on, on you know the the rough estimate is about seven percent of our of the U.S. population has served in the military, um, and less than one percent of of that population has served in combat. And then when you start talking about the homeless population, uh, veterans make up about 13 to 15% of the homeless population in the U.S. So, um, you know, so it's it's definitely an area that needs more focus and more support. Um, you know, here locally where I am, we've been able to do a lot of great things um, in the last couple months as far as helping uh, homeless veterans get into affordable housing um, because they still need to 
uh, come up with first month's rent or security deposit or things like that. So we've been able to fund those individual projects and, and allow them to get off the streets and get into affordable housing. We've had a couple of veterans where they've uh, been on the verge of eviction. So that would have caused them and their family to be homeless. And we've been able to bring their rent current and help them with developing a plan so that it doesn't become a recurring issue. So a lot of really great things in terms of the homelessness um, has been going on. But you have a, the way you, first of all, is you connect the athletes, they create, they end up signing the uh, memorabilia you only have one event a year you pretty much go to where you pretty much do all the auctioning. The- yeah. So, so we, you know, we, uh, we sell throughout the year online, you know, through our social media platforms <clears throat> um, and, and I'm really starting to get going with putting more stuff out on eBay platform. So um, gets wider reach that way, but coming up in July, um, July 26th through the 30th is the National Sports Collectors Convention, which is the largest of its kind in the country. Um, it's this year, it's going to be held um, in Rosemont, Illinois, just outside of Chicago um, at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center. And um, this year, it will be larger than it's ever been. It's going to be over 600,000 square feet of vendor space. Um, and we're invited back this year to um, set up and raise awareness, raise money. Um, and we're also going to be doing an online auction with uh, Pristine Auction, which is one of the auction houses where 100% of the bid prices are going to come back to us. So um, it's pretty exciting. So so that the, the National is always our largest fundraiser every year. And are you hoping that you can, based on this word of mouth, you're going to continue to break records that you never thought you could do to help the homeless? Yeah, that's my hope. (laughs) Um, You know, do you have goals you're setting yourself as a foundation of where you can go? Yeah, I am. I am. Um, You know, when I started this eight years ago, no business plan and no, you know, vision of this is where I want to take it. It was just, let me raise $500 and, and call it a day, feel good about myself, have a beer to celebrate and be done. Um, and like I said, we're coming up on $225,000 raised. The first year that we were invited to the national, um, we were able to raise about $4,200 over the five day period, <clears throat> which was absolutely fantastic. The next year we went back and were invited and we raised almost $9,000 that year. The following year we were invited back and had, um, we were the charity partner for the national that year. And with the online auction we had, we raised $26,000. Last year we were invited back again and were the charity partner again, had an online auction with Pristine again and raised almost $50,000. So it's 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 going to go, it's going to go up and up and up. Yeah, so it it seems like every year I'm doubling what we did the year prior. So if if we do $100,000 this year um, at the National, I'll, um, I I don't know, I I, I may be calling on the doctor to to help resuscitate. I'm going to be able, so here's my question. I'm going to go to Dr. Charles. Anything to add so far? I just got to be blown away about what he's doing to help. Well, yeah, my, my, uh, um, mind is wandering here so you you would benefit getting uh, autographed memorabilia from athletes 
because I'm connected to the NHL Alumni Association. I'm sure a lot of those athletes would uh, be willing to get behind this. I could probably think of several. Uh, Roberto Clemente Jr. is a friend of mine. I, uh, uh, Tyler Kennedy from the Penguins. So I, th I think these guys would be real happy to help your cause. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and, you know, over the years, it's it's really been interesting because, you know, it, uh, it, it, as you know, Dr. Charles, these athletes get asked to do a lot of things by a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and a lot of these athletes, you know, they've never met me. They wouldn't know me if they tripped over me in the street. Um, and, and here I am coming to them saying, hey, you know, would you sign a card, a ball, a puck, or, you know, some just something that I'm then going to turn around, sell it, and 100% is going to go and help homeless and disabled veterans. And in the beginning, you know, it was kind of slow treading, um, you know, because they're kind of like, sure, you know, here's another guy running a scheme probably. But just as we've done it more and more and, and you know, we have other athletes, people that know the athletes that vouch for us and say, you know, this is a legit thing. Um, it, it's amazing to find out what these athletes are really willing to do, um, you know, on their own time, their own dime, um, just to help our, our efforts. Um, it, it, it's really humbling. Yeah. There are several that I know that would really get behind us. Like uh, Neil Cam Johnson with the Brooklyn Nets, he would not only sign, but I'm sure he would recruit several of his uh, teammates to do that as well. He's uh, very active in charities. I I'm a big, big Cam Johnson fan. Um, oh yeah, wife, I've known my, him. My Lots wife of and years. I, yeah, my wife and I are are uh, UNC uh, basketball fans. So oh, okay, very, yeah. very, very big fan of Cam's. I think John, uh, Doctor Charles is is excited about a collaboration of sorts, uh, especially because he wants to get behind uh, again foundations like yours. And I thought with the sports connection, what a perfect situation. Uh, for sure. I also am going to be putting my uh, in of my athletes that I interview as celebrities and offer them connects because of all the celebrity athletes I interview. For example, I know Blaze Winter, who played 12 years in the NFL. He came on my show today and we're becoming good friends. And it's just from Facebook again, the same deal. And I'm going to say to Blaze, and I'm sure he's going to jump on it. Here's a tremendous story, Dr. Charles. I have to introduce you to him because uh, it'll probably be on the same radio show that's what people will say how what is this it's all about the relationships what's so great <laughs> of what we do is build relationships how would i have not met tim if i wasn't on my facebook feed and saw mike lavalier post something and i reached out to mike in second saying let's do this and now tim and i have a relationship dr charles and i met through linkedin it, you got if you're not out there forget about it but tim where's the best place people can go and find certain things now are you looking to expand to celebrities are you going to stick to the athletes or you want to go celebrity route because i do know some pretty big big connections in the military that are top military in as celebrities as well so i didn't think of that the first time but go figure you, you get me at later at night i have more Ideas. <laughs> yeah, no, um, my attitude has always been if it can help raise even literally a single dollar, I'm, I'm game for it, you know, because people hear how much money Signatures for Soldiers has raised and it, it's literally has been a couple dollars here, a couple dollars there at a time. It hasn't been, you know, $1,000 every time. Um, you know, so it, it adds up very quickly. And, and I think that's been the great thing that my wife and I really enjoyed about this, um, is seeing 
we're firm believers that everybody wants to help. They just don't know how to help, or they don't think that what they're able to give is enough to really make a difference. So they just choose not to. And I think Signatures for Soldiers not only has become a charity, but it's also become a community where people understand, hey, today, you know, I can spare $2. And I know my $2 is going to go and really genuinely help somebody, not simply pay somebody's salary or anything like this, because Signatures for Soldiers is an all-volunteer effort. Um, I, I literally take no salary, no money from this. So, you know, just to, just to know, okay, if I give $2, the next person gives $2, the person after that gives $2, all of a sudden, you know, we're, we've now tripled what I threw in, into it. So, you know, you talk about community and relationships, and, and that's really what this has become, you know, because I don't have a budget for a big marketing campaign, you know, big marketing blitz for the Super Bowl or <laughs> anything like that. You just wait um, till somebody go, you go viral, and especially with shorts now, and what I'm seeing, the push in YouTube... If everyone's not doing shorts, they're missing out. But the best yeah, really. place, Tim, you can find information right now on Signature for Soldiers. Where can they go? So uh, website is signatures, the number four, soldiers.com. Um, so that's our website. We're also on social media. We're on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and uh, Twitter. So you can you can follow us on any three of those platforms or all three of the platforms. Um, those are really kind of the big things. And, um, you know, we have a lot of exciting things coming up. Um, you know, a lot of uh, great and exciting announcements that I'm hoping to be able to share, you know, within the next few days, week or so. So uh, it, it's a lot of great things have happened. And, uh, you know, I'm just very humbled that, you know, individuals like yourself and Dr. Charles are just willing to sit down and just talk and just, you know, help get the word out. Because um, well, this is a been great a cause. Yeah, it's, it's been a very grassroots effort from the beginning. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, everybody says to me, you know, how I'm doing such great things. I can't do it without support like you all um, and, and the people that are watching this and want to get involved. I mean, that's the only way that this happens is by all of us coming together and, and really showing these men and women they're not forgotten. And, and you know, we are a grateful nation to them. Um, it, it, it's the it's the least that we can do. It's the least that I can do. Well, Tim, you're going to keep going for sure. Anything to add, Dr. Charles? I uh, just, uh, Tim, are you ex-military or just curious? No, no. My father served in the Air Force. And um, by the time I was turning 18 and ready to go into the military, we weren't in, uh, we weren't at war. So I knew at that time my childhood asthma would disqualify me. So gotcha. off, so off, curious, to, off yeah. to, yeah, off to college I went, but, um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker by, by trade. And, um, I've, I've dedicated my career to providing substance abuse and mental health counseling for, um, for our veterans. Um, that, so that's what I do. I, I have the utmost respect for social workers. We, uh, the director of the NHL Alumni Association, uh, uh, Jerry Jermaka, is a uh, social worker, and the job he does is just spectacular with the uh, retired hockey players. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's, yeah. So kind of my, my daytime job, and then what I call my evening weekend job is, you know, I, it's just dedicated to taking care of these men and women. And I, I just, I have so much fun with it. You know, there's so many people I would never have met without being involved in this and um it's gonna know, get it's, bigger it, it's 
it's just great. It's it's simply great. I'm, let, I'm let, so, let, the, so let, let, let the media giant put a little bit more juice into this. <laughs> Steph Robert Irvine again, because I, I again I had him on. I, I worked out with him. There's a picture of me with him. I'm connected with him. I could reach out. But there's just so many different celebrities out there that want to help uh, the homeless, especially veterans. And there's a lot of opportunity. So I appreciate you both for coming by. Thanks, Neil. I really appreciate it. Dr. Charles, pleasure. All right. Nice meeting you as well. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back. We're back to The Neil Haley Show. My guest today is Dr. Charles Simpkins from Simpkins Concussion Institute. Dr. Charles, how are you? And I can't believe we're getting closer to summer. And during summertime, that means a lot of kids now are going to play sports for the first time. And guess what? Just because they've been playing it for the first time, there can be a chance that they could get a head injury. And parents start to worry about these things, especially when we're talking about baseball for the first time, t-ball for the first time, softball for the first time, because accidents happen, right? Oh, yeah, they do. And, uh, and parents are very aware of it. And they're, they're, they're really aware of the variable skill level of these kids. I had a father, his son had a concussion in, in playing baseball, and he said he they were like nine or 10 years old. He took him to the practice and he said, there was this one kid on the team started firing the ball around. And he's like, "Uh Oh, my, my boy's not at that level. He said, next thing, you know, the boy got plunked, you know, and uh, uh, missed school for a week. So, uh, you know, it's very real. Uh, you know, they're still developing uh, coordination wise. A lot of them trip and fall. They haven't learned how to slide into base yet. Uh, they haven't heard how to tag people properly. I've had people get tagged in the head or they, the, the baseball etiquette's not uh, taught yet. They're still learning. They let the bat go and it hits people. So it, it's uh, almost calm. It's cute, but it can end up pretty, pretty dire. You froze for a second. I'll get through that. Could, yeah. could you answer that question again? Good. Um, you know, uh, the whole thing. <laughs> uh, you know, the, Not the whole thing, the, the final part about when it hits the bat head. Yeah. So, the you bat. know, kids will, kids will let go of the bat. They don't understand to hold on to the bat and throw it into a safe spot. Uh, and just the number of kids that are playing sports in the summer, weather breaks it's like a herd of horses running outside and, uh, and the, the, just the numbers and the likelihood goes up and a chance of injury goes up just from a trip and fall running around uh, or kids jumping on other kids in pools off of diving boards. I've seen that happen numerous times, swimming, swimming accidents, uh, you know, uh, weekend warriors, even adults, uh, you know, they go to church functions and they play volleyball and I've had, you know, you name it, people find a way to hurt themselves. So let's talk about that further now. When you talk about those specific injuries, you talk about it happening. I'll give you an example. When kids go out in the outfield for the first time playing t-ball and yet there's a kid ten, two years older than them and they're a four or five-year-old and smack, the ball hits their head. What do you do next? Should you be concerned when a kid gets hit in the head with the ball or gets some sort of head injury playing sport, playing a summer sport like baseball or softball sure. or, or – yeah. Is, is the, I guess a lot of times we still shake it off. We say, okay, he seems okay, instead of really going to a professional quickly. Well, you know, you, what the parents want to do is watch for, for a, a change in their behaviors. 
changing her sleeping habits, um, you know, uh, complaining about vision, a drop in her performance in school, all that are telltale signs that, listen, you know, something happened. And, um, you know, sometimes they're slow to develop, sometimes they're instant, but sometimes they can be delayed. And, uh, you know, everybody knows their child and how they're performing and acting. And, and you really want to watch the behaviors and, uh, uh, you know, if, if there's changes in their sleep habits, and you want, and, and most parents know before the child does that, hey, my child is, is different. They're not the same as they were before. So the behavior, so there's a big part of the behavior process, right? Dr. Charles, you're basically saying that that just because this happened, it could the effects could happen three weeks later. It's oh, yeah. delayed. It, it can be delayed. Um, you know, uh, such as in a car accident, when there's trauma. Uh, your fight flight kicks in and your endorphins kick in painkillers. And uh, once these uh, endorphins and natural painkillers start leaving the system, then you start to feel more pain often. Uh, so that can be two, three, four weeks post-trauma, such as in a car accident. A lot of people don't feel the injuries from a car accident until several weeks, even months later. Now, if you have trauma and you feel pain immediately, that's not good because that means it was a pretty significant trauma. Wow. Uh, so, and I think most parents I've noticed are real careful about watching our kids, especially moms, you know, dads will say, Oh, you're okay. Shake it off. Get out there. You know, moms are like, Oh no, take my baby off the field. Uh, something's wrong with him or he got hit and I want to check him out. Should they get checked out immediately or what look for behavior, check behaviors first. Yeah. They'll know right away. If it's, if it's pretty significant, they'll know when they go home that their child is different and behaving different or crying or having talking about their head hurting um or you know there's a marked a, a noticeable bruise or welt or, or or tear of the skin and you want to get that looked at and the first place you want to go is the er have the er doctor check them out make sure everything's okay uh, most of the time they won't run a scan on a little kid older yes significant injuries yes um but the er doctors are real good at vetting you know really what's wrong and then after that, if uh, the if the ER doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says there's no pathology, no fracture, no no anything they detect, and if the it, problems continue or the patient deteriorates, then you want to get them to uh, have them checked out by a, a qualified professional. And that means qu basically do that. Now, what if there's no symptoms, but it was a big blow to the head? Do you recommend you know, it, them seeing someone like you just for precaution if that happens? Some people do, uh, you know, but uh, uh, it's possible to sustain an injury and really not have symptoms or have damage. It, it some, sometimes just, you know, all the stars align right and you get to take a shot and you really are okay. I've examined people who had had a, a head injury and, uh, you know, they're okay. Like I had a, a lady had a, a concussion and, and she was a patient and then she brought her her brother in for me to look at him too and he needed some care she said well i'm here why don't you take a look at me and she was totally fine she had hit her head on the car frame and she said i'm not feeling bad but I, you know i'd feel better if you look at me and she had done no damage um you, you know i i know an orthopedic surgeon you know freaky things happen i have an orthopedic surgeon had a uh, fella uh scheduled for disc surgery um, and, uh, he, the guy never showed up and here he saw him a month later in a grocery store of all places. And he said, you know, are you okay? And the guy said, it's the weirdest thing. 
he, he had been on a ladder 10 feet in the air, slipped and fell, landed on one foot, twisted, heard a loud pop in his low back and all the pain went away. So he said I mean, he was feeling good. So he didn't go through the surgery. But, you know, you're talking about that was just the right angle, just the right thing. And and just like you can get injured, good things can happen, too. It's rare. But I thought that was an interesting story when he shared that with me. All right. And the best place to go is Simkovich Concussion Institute.com. Right now, I'm scheduled a call with Dr. Charles today. I appreciate it, Dr. Charles. Another great conversation. Yeah, thanks for your time, Neil. All right, you're listening, watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Strategic Wealth Strategies Podcast with our host, Alan Porter. Alan, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing doing well, doing well. A little warm out here today. It's about 85 degrees. going to be 60 tomorrow and then the 50s on Saturday. Oh, just change of weather, but it's April. That's what usually happens. Well, I'll tell you what, those people in the Midwest and out West are really getting hammered. Oh, wow. All right, so we're going to talk Social Security today. I think that's an important one to look at because I think some people think that that's going to be something they can live on. Oh, well, I don't know what, what how they're going to live on it, but uh, especially with inflation and everything. But I'll tell you what, I think over 50 to 60% pe of people uh, use Social Security as their number one asset in retirement. That's crazy. That is scary. So what we're going to do, I've, I've got a small PowerPoint prepared here. Just give me a minute and I'll, I'll bring it up. Okay. Can you see it? Yeah, uh, not yet. Yes, I do now. Okay. Okay. Well, I've entitled this problem for Social Security because uh, Social Security is, is, is ringed with problems. I'm going to show you some of the things that's going on right now. The problem with Social Security and Social Security the future remains uncertain. And there's talk of, of the money, the money running out in 2033 to 2034. And annual taxes are only scheduled to cover about 70, anywhere 75 to 78 percent of the benefits each year after that. And I'll show you the ramifications of that in a minute. But why is Social Security in trouble? Well, people need to understand. When it was enacted in 1935, it wasn't paid out until, I believe, 1942. You have to be, uh, um, you have 44 workers for one individual. Now, there's only three for one individual, and in seven years, there's only going to be two for one individual, putting in the Social Security. Uh, and the problem is with it is at 62, that's right here. When you started, you could not file Social Security until 65. Life expectancy at that time was 62. Now you can file for it at 62, but life expectancy is for a man is 65 and for a woman, excuse me, is 85 and for a woman is 87. And if you're married, it's even longer than that. I think it's a 50% chance if you're married in age 65 of living past age 90 and a 25% chance of living past 95. And uh, people just don't understand the ramifications of that because they're living a longer life. And basically what it is, Neil, it's a math problem. 
And the math problem is our government. The worst case scenario, benefits could be cut. Well, if no changes are made to deal with the trust fund's shortfall, benefits are going to have to be reduced almost 25%. That's amazing. Social Security provides at least half the income, and I was right, 50% of elderly married couples and 70% of elderly single people, according to the Social Security Administration, rely on that for their, for their income in retirement. It is likely that benefits will be cut. Some now think about this, because this this could be, as I say, this could be a national disaster. Some experts doubt that a big slice of Social Security uh, benefits is forthcoming, but the ramifications of that event would be far beyond dramatic for everyone in the country. You're going to have a national disaster on our hands, because people are going to be out of money. Uh, the government's already out of money, and they but they keep handing out money. They keep printing more money, making our money wor work less. And besides that, inflation is out of control because the government is printing more money. And they think that gas prices are going to go down. Well, now they're going to have to fill uh, the petroleum reserve up at a much, much higher cost than what we could have done it years ago. Uh, and now China, Russia, and OPEC are cutting production. Uh, OPEC cutting production by a million barrels a day. Wow. What do you think that's going to do to the price of gasoline? Not the price of gasoline the price of food, the price of you going any place. Because petroleum, whether we want to believe it or not, affects everything that we possibly do in, in, our, in our lives. Ways to balance Social Security's budget? Well, we can we can raise the payroll tax, which the, nobody likes to do that. They don't like to raise taxes. But here's one thing that they could do is increasing the wages subject to Social Security. Because I think it's $137,000. If you make more than $137,000, you don't have any social security tax anymore. So what that's going to do, if you bring in everybody, uh, that's going to be a lot more money into social security. And I think that's probably one of the things that they'll do. It all depends on the lobbying efforts of, of course, these people with, with all the money. Racing full retirement age, since we're living longer, that would make sense. And reducing the annual cost of living adjustments. Now we had a huge cost of living adjustment this last year, but we've had huge inflation also. It didn't keep up with inflation. But, you know, when you take out Social Security, people need to understand this. If you take it out at 62 and you still have a job and you make more than what, the, I think it's more than, I can't remember, sixteen dollars or $17,000, for every $2 you make, you've got to pay $1 back to Social Security. So there's a penalty in that. But the big penalty is if if you've got good health and you, you can afford it, there's no reason to take Social Security out at 62 because it grows by 8% a year plus the cost of living increase. And usually that cost of living increase runs around 1.5%. So that, that's, a, that's a huge increase in your, in your retirement pay. Now, it may not make any difference if you only live to 75. But if you live past 80, it's going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars in difference. They can also cut benefits. What would happen? To help the trust fund remain solvent, the taxable wage limit would even have to be higher or lifted entirely. And see, like I just said, it's $137,700 currently escaped taxation for Social Security. Now, think about all those people that are making uh, $150,000 and above. That's just more and more uh, income that's going to come into the trust fund. And that may, I think that's probably what's going to happen. And again, because tax, tax hikes aren't popular, Congress uh, will, more, will more likely raise retirement age for Social Security benefits. It's the problem with Congress, they can't compromise anything. 
currently the age at which you can collect full retirement benefits ranges from 65 if you were born before 19 born in 1937 or earlier to 67 if you were born in 1960 or later and it may be raised to 69. that's a strong possibility that's going to happen the funding for, for i can't even talk this afternoon the funding shortfall could be solved by cutting benefits for all social security beneficiaries if nothing is done until 2034 or 2035, however, all benefits would need to be cut by 22%. And if you're if you're relying on this, you, you're going to have to either get food, a place to live, don't go anyplace, and eat beans and weenies, because you're not going to have enough money to live on. What would this change look like? In 2023, the average retirement benefit will be $1,827 a month. If they were cut by 20%, that amount would be drop would drop by $365 each month, over $4,384 per year. But if the benefits were dropped by 23%, that's $420 a month, and that's $5,042 per year. And when you're looking at people and they're only making, let's say it's $2,000 in Social Security. If you lose $5,000 of that, that's, you know, people, people aren't expecting that. And then if you make too much money, uh, taxes can affect uh, up to 85% of your, of your Social Security. That's why I show people how to retire tax-free, protect themselves from, from the taxation of Social Security, and the means testing for Medicare Part B. Social Security's shortfall problem is easy to, to solve, but it's not easy to get done. Congress needs to make the necessary changes, but as I said before, they don't want to compromise. And personally, I don't expect Social Security to run on money. There should always be a source of retirement income, but it shouldn't be your, be your only source. You need to have a plan. And many people out there have no plan whatsoever. And here's the other thing. I think it's up to, I think it's, it's between 83 and 90% of people take Social Security at their detriment. Because mm. people don't know when or how to take it or what benefits. Now, I've got people on my team, Neil, that's that's all they do. Uh, they do Social Security. They show people when and how to take that out. And if you want to find out more about that, what you can go to do is go to ss.gov, uh, I believe it is, get your Social Security statement, make a call with me, send that in to me, and I'll send this, this report in to my experts in, in the Social Security field, and they'll prepare, prepare a report for you. It's probably about 15 to 20 pages long. So you'll know when the best time to take Social Security is. If there's anything like this, this that you'd like to talk about or tax-free retirement or guaranteed income in retirement, give me a call at 910-551-1046, or you can email me at uh, strategicwealth, the number zero, at gmail.com. I'm always looking to educate people and to help them out, especially when it comes to retirement. Alan, again, and great information. And it's really concerning when you think about Social Security, because you're right, people are living on Social Security. And if it's cut or eliminated, what are people going to do? And I think more and more people have to look at planning for retirement in a way that's saying, hey, I'm not playing the market where I'm going to take a chance, right? And maybe I'll make 30% on my money. How am I going to know that the money that I invest will be there for me and protect me for long term? And especially you're going to live a long time, even if you did make 30% in the market after 30 years, right? That money is gonna be taxed and then that money might not hold on to life for you. 
So it's better to have be protected, be able to take the money out when you want and have guaranteed income for life. It's a much better deal take, instead of taking a lump sum. You're exactly right. And I can show people how to, I mean, I can think of 18 risks in retirement right off the top of my head. 